Welcome into another episode of Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. Smart manufacturing and collaboration have proven to be transformational elements within the industry. But within those elements, there are challenges driving the change. Data, for one, is a key component, and it can drive a substantial return on investment if used right. The quest to understand and corral data and smart manufacturing could be the key differentiator in the future, especially as supply chain challenges continue. For example, end-to-end visibility and understanding data analytics can be driving factors to a better operating system and a better business model. Additionally, continued EV battery material costs and the ability to scale are important differentiators. So how to navigate that world? Two experts on today's program will explain. Inforce Peter Meithel and Henning Drensfield explain smart manufacturing innovations and the continued changes within the industry. Today on this episode, we talk to them on Automotive Insiders. Peter Meithel, welcome to the program. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Jason. Good to be here. And Henning Dransfield, uh, welcome to Automotive Insiders to you as well. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So let's start with smart manufacturing and collaboration as two key transformational elements. Henning, let me begin with you. Why do you see smart manufacturing and collaboration as being that transformational nature? Why, why now? Why now? Good question. I mean, uh, the industry has always been about uh, cooperation, collaboration, maybe a bit more conflict between the suppliers and the OEMs, um, where the suppliers were really trying to get visibility in the production schedule of the OEMs. The OEMs were more likely dictating terms on, on uh, where things were going. But now the challenges which both orga- uh, both organizations are facing uh, mean that they have to uh, intertwine the innovation much more closely. The, the products are becoming more complex. They're becoming more software-driven. The engineering part, it's it's more more aligned with each other. So it's uh, much more important to um, to, to interlink um, the, the production schedules to get more intelligent about each other, uh, align also the footprints of manufacturing as we're moving closer to, to consumer markets. You see more factories going into high cost countries closer to, to where the markets are. Um, so the suppliers would traditionally follow the, the, the OEMs in, into those theaters. And, uh, therefore you need a lot of insight to make, uh, some very complex decisions uh, nowadays. What are some potential challenges driving that transformation in your mind? Well, one of the biggest uh, is obviously the, the supply side uh, shortages and the, um, some raw materials which need to be replaced or, or some fleets which need, need to be reconfigured because of certain materials being short and, and not in, in the right supply. The other big challenge is um, the issue about sustainability, where you now have to trace back about 50,000 components where they're coming from. You have to look at your um, digital footprint of each of those components. Is it manufactured in, in, in the best place? Are you um, optimizing the transport ways? Are you uh, producing as clean as possible? And one of the first things the automotive industry has to do is actually to define standards to what, uh, uh, what it calls carbon neutral, because these standards don't exist nowadays. And only then can the OEMs um, dictate to the, the suppliers to, to stick to an adherent framework? And that has to be built. That has to be constructed. Peter, let me turn to you. Uh, data is a key strategic asset. 
Can you expound on that a little bit more? And what can organizations do to get the greatest return on that asset? Sure. No, <clears throat> excuse me. So, yeah. So, you know, when you look at data, of course, there's there's the traditional sort of uh, types of data, right? And, and the challenge is that, to step back a second, the challenge is that data is not the data that we all kind of think used to know in the sense that there's the structured data that we kind of all maybe grew up with is the stuff that's in your ERP or your CRM and your corporate systems. But then there's all this other kind of data now that's the quote unquote, the slight, the newer data, though a lot of it is not that new anymore. And by that, I mean, you know, you've got, um, you've got data from sensors and devices, you've got clickstream data, you've got images, you've got social and GPS data, you've got structured and unstructured data that are coming together. And really, <clears throat> when you look at all the interactions that are occurring in the digital and the automotive ecosystem, it's it incorporates all these kinds of data. It's not just one type. And in order for companies to be able to really de uh, derive strategic advantage from, from what's going on in the, in, in, in the world out there, they have to be able to ingest and manage and make sense of this data. And so, and that's really, because at the end of the day, it's all about improving the customer experience. And all these interactions that are occurring between all these different kinds of stakeholders in the automotive ecosystem, they're generating petabytes of data. And that data, it's like a gold mine and it has to be mined. So as companies figure out how to mine that and use the right technologies, which includes AI and ML and analytics, advanced analytics, as they're able to tap into the, the depths of insights that that data can give them, that those insights can then translate into strategic advantage to the people, to the companies that can most effectively derive insights from the data that's out there. They are the ones that going that are going to have the greatest strategic advantage. So both of these subjects are against a backdrop of what are likely big challenges ahead of us in 2023. We talk about continued supply chain challenges and how to mitigate those. EV battery material costs, availability, battery recycling and sustainability. And Peter, just staying with you for a moment, when you think of the challenges ahead and and those sort of subpoints, what strikes you as some of the some of the biggest uh, hurdles that need to be overcome? Yeah, so, so the number one thing that of course still is uh, is top of mind is supply chain that is definitely not going away anytime in the near future. I've read that it could be even a couple more years. So I think that is definitely an issue uh, and a challenge. And it's not just with it. And of course, it extends across the industry. Specifically, if you look at some of the uh, challenges relating to electric vehicles and uh, or, or electrified vehicles, I should say, there is a massive um, potential or current and looming challenge in terms of the potential demand for these materials, specifically battery materials, versus the supply of those materials, right? So I've read some estimates uh, that uh, for in order to meet the projected demand, the, you know, the US, I think, alone needs 50 more lithium and 60 more nickel and 17 more cobalt mines. And the numbers are very close to those. I may have them off by a couple, but it's it's massive, right? And these mines take a long time to develop and build and you know, lots of money, et cetera. So there's a looming supply uh, supply chain challenge there. Um, battery recycling is absolutely uh, huge. And I think I've read estimates that, again, if you look at the volume projections of EV sales and you use some uh, assumptions about the life of the batteries and all, we could be looking at close to anywhere from a half a billion with a B tons plus of battery material, highly toxic material that will need to be recycled within the next, let's say, five plus years, right? Within the, within a fairly short time horizon. And our current recycling capability 
Um, I don't know if it's global or US, but either way, it's very small. It's in the hundreds of thousands of tons, not in the billions or millions of tons. So there's a huge challenge there. That is a huge challenge when you ask about challenges. Henning, uh, give me your thoughts on 23 and that, and that long list of things that need to be tracked. Uh, yes, to the uh, supply chain, which Peter alluded to, I would add the, the um, so, um, typical market challenges. I mean, this year we're, go we're looking forward, we're going to, to see hyperinflation, which means uh, rising raw material prices. We also might be looking at uh, um, a slowing demand uh, as we hit into uh, go into the, the downturn, possibly. Uh, we don't know to what extent that, that will be buffered and what it will, will depend on. And we're also looking at a fundamental change in the way cars are being bought, um, consumed for five years and then sold again, which is all changing now. Uh, people look at shared platforms, especially in the cities. They're looking at smaller cars. Um, there's preferences changing. Um, for instance, in the US, you still favor your SUVs and your, your, your pickup trucks, whereas, um, the most sold car in, uh, uh e-mobility car in, uh, Germany now is, uh, the Fiat A500. Which is uh, no surprise when you when you look at where immobility act actually takes off, which is mostly in the cities. It is. Mm -hmm. There's a fundamental change. Um, so the automotive industry, by and large, has to do both. They have to um, a explore new market opportunities and and really fully invest in immobility, but b um, keep also the market for um, uh, traditional propulsion going globally because. Um, the, the, the fossil engine won't be replaced within next year completely in all the theaters where you need trucks and tractors and developed developed countries, etc. So you have to run a, a parallel strategy while you're while you're in the midst of that transition. Mm, no shortage of issues. Just yes, please, Peter, go ahead. No, no, sorry. No, I, Henning uh, got me all excited because he's absolutely right. <laughs> um, uh, but that is, I think, the the key nugget in what Henning just said is, and there are many, but one of the things that jumps out at me is that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution, right? And that is what I think the industry is starting to realize or needs to realize. And I, there's a couple automakers like Toyota being one of them that comes to mind that are kind of the leading proponent of this sort of department store approach that there are many different types of goods for many different kinds of people, right? And I think that's really going to be an important thing to keep in mind that it's not this one-size-fits-all. There are different markets, different needs. Which leads into my final question, which are additional innovations that we might see pop up in the industry. Peter, for the development of hydrogen, e-fuels, challenges and opportunities around those? Yes. Yeah, so hydrogen actually is coming up more and more in the media that I'm I'm seeing. And a big, again, a big proponent of hydrogen has been Toyota. They've even got a hydrogen-powered race car that Akio Toyota himself drives. Um, and there's two aspects to hydrogen. One is the hydrogen fuel cell, which is actually ultimately ends up in electric in electric drive, right? That's the, and I don't know all the chemistry, but it's that's a hydrogen fuel cell, and that definitely has promise for long-haul trucking potentially. Uh, but there's also hydrogen combustion, where you literally almost uh, you're basically burning hydrogen instead of gasoline in a combustion engine, which is almost identical to a standard fossil fuel burning engine, almost exactly the same. And again, Toyota is a, component, a proponent of that. And Cummins has actually created a, a, a truck engine and are planning to produce one, I think, by 2025 commercially. The challenge is going to be, so there's potential there. Of course, there are cost and efficiency challenges still to be worked out. And of course, the infrastructure. So if we think that electric vehicles have an infrastructure problem, hydrogen has an even bigger infrastructure problem. But I think these things can be overcome because hydrogen, of course, is plentiful. 
zero emissions, et cetera, et cetera. So many benefits, but I think there's increasing focus being devoted to hydrogen as another alternative fuel source. E-fuels are another option where you take basically materials from the air, make them into combustible fuels. It's a drop-in solution that works in a fossil burning engine, fossil fuel burning engine. And then the, the emissions of that are the same as what you extracted from the air to begin with. So it's kind of net zero, as I understand it. I'm not a chemist, but that sounds like magic to me, but it apparently does work. So that's another option. Um, but again, these are early stage technologies that I think still need some development. Wonderful. Peter Meifel, Henning Dransfeld, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for sharing your time on Automotive Insiders. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. That's this episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. Thanks again to my guests, Infor's Peter Meithel and Henning Dransfeld. I'm Jason Stein. We'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>